What's concerning is we are on the cusp, if we're not already past the cliff, of major homeless crisis. You've got people with bills they can't pay and they don't know what they're going to do. And then you have kids who it's not working out to be virtual in school. And so they're losing now six months. They're going to lose arguably a full year of schooling. Are they ever going to catch up? It's, uh, you know, when you really go down that route, it is very discouraging. And I don't know, maybe that's why I'm running for office, because I believe we can pull out of this and we can we can get we can make it better. But it's the, the mental health issues, the substance abuse issues, the domestic violence issues. They're there. We're just not hearing about a lot of them. Welcome back to Spotlight 19. That was our state Senate candidate from across the Hudson River here in New York 19, Karen Smythe. This is Justin Tracy. And I'm with you all in the collective grief and maybe not so much shock, but the disgust the morning after the first presidential debate in uh, 2020. So I hope you're all doing okay out there. I'm not going to go into it, but um, this is not us, you know. No matter where you stand on on things, this is not us. Anyway, we have well, a good episode coming up. Um, we haven't had an episode in about two weeks, and so many awful things like passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, have happened. But I promise this episode uh, won't be fully depressing. Coming up, we have the wonderful Karen Smythe. She's a state senate candidate um, who is actually our first return guest of this season. In a hopeless, seemingly hopeless world, it's so nice to have our old friends back and uh, see them continue on in the fight, the good fight. So we're going to take you there now with uh, Sarja and Karen Smythe here on Spotlight 19. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are here with Karen Smythe, who is our first repeat guest. She was back on our show back in 2018 during her first run uh, for the state Senate. Welcome back. Thank you very much. It's a real privilege to be back. And you're joining us, and we actually both attended this vigil for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's difficult for me to call her RBG or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I used to clerk for a judge, and it's really disrespectful to not say justice or judge by the honorific, but, you know, um, it was a beautiful, beautiful service and beautiful event. But I, I, in preparing my notes for today, I know that you are actually running um, in part because of the the Hobby Lobby decision, and that's one where Justice Ginsburg wrote this scathing dissent on this assault on on reproductive rights, and I wanted you to talk more about that, and I hear myself getting emotional and just even asking you that question. It's so interesting. It was it was a beautiful evening, and there were a lot of people out, and, it, and there was beautiful music, and it was nice to have that moment to just acknowledge Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her life and how she fought for women and for equity throughout her entire career. But yeah, the Hobby Lobby case really hit me. That was in 2014. And the owner of a business was allowed to restrict and deny health coverage specifically for contraception because he didn't believe in it. And I thought that's not 
that's not the position that a, a business owner should have. There's something fundamentally wrong with this, um, with this scenario. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissent um, was scathing, as it should be. And one of the things she said was, you know, it's fine for you to have rights, but only up to the point where you're starting to um, negatively impact and hurt someone else. And the other thing that I came across not that long ago is that there was a Supreme Court decision in 19, I believe it was 1973, that, um, that said that banks could no longer require women to have a male cosign for a mortgage or getting a credit card. Prior to that, it was legal, and many banks actually had that practice. And I've spoken to women who said, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get a credit card without a male uh, to cosign. And it was, I believe it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg who argued that case to the Supreme Court. So we can thank her for a lot of things. Um, you know, 1973 wasn't that long ago. So the, the arc of pushing for women's rights is, is we take for granted many of the rights that we have. And again, that's, I think, what the Hobby Lobby case did for me is it said, wait, I didn't think we needed to continue to argue this, but we need to we need to not take these rights for granted because we can go backwards. And it was that feeling of going backwards. I said that's not okay. And I need to I need to get involved and get engaged. So Yeah, here I am. and you're doing a great job. It's it it just takes a lot to run, it t- putting yourself out there and to run again. Tell us a little bit about what the outcome of the last time around was. I know it was a, a nail biter. Well, so ultimately I lost by 688 votes. There were a lot of absentee ballots and um, I felt it was really important for every ballot to be counted. And they were. And um, and so it, it didn't, and that was about a half a percentage point. And I remember feeling at the time that it wasn't a loss, it just was unfinished business. Um, because the experience of running for office was extraordinary. I met amazing people. And I also realized that when you run for office, it may, have, it may be my name that's on the ballot, but there are hundreds and hundreds of people that are part of the campaign. And it's all of us that are working on this campaign. And the issues are still there. And... Um, I'm running against Senator Serino. She's now been in office for six years, and we have very different approaches on some very critical, what I believe to be very critical issues. And that, to me, is the most important, is to make sure people understand who they're, who they're voting for and how they will or have been representing them. Your opponent, Sue Serino, uh, she's been in office for six years, as you just mentioned, um, and I know that she has a terrible record on the environment. And that is something that we here in upstate New York, even though we're so far removed from California last week, as a result of the wildfires in California, there was an orange tinge to our sky. And a lot of progress was made during the last session in the Senate, but there is a lot of work yet that's yet to be done. What are some of your priorities on the climate if uh, and when you're elected? Well, I 
it really is an important issue, and the climate crisis is not coming. It's here. As you mentioned, the wildfires in California are incredibly striking in their ferocity and how broad they are. Um, and it is a little terrifying that the that the skies are are affected by the ash in the air from those fires. But we also have the hurricanes where we've already gone through the alphabet in all of the number of hurricanes. So they're now, last one I heard was a B because um, the, the way they name hurricanes is they, they go through the alphabet and they're, they're starting over again. Um, and we even had a, we had a storm in Dutchess and Putnam County that probably about a month ago, I think, um, that just, it wasn't very long, but it knocked out so many people's power. And they was out for, for some people, it was days. And these storms are getting stronger. So the um, New York, legis- the state legislature passed the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And that has goals to reduce emissions to, to zero emissions and reducing greenhouse gases and um, and shifting to a clean energy grid and uh, first of all, Senator Serena voted against that. So if you don't even believe in the goals, you're not going to work towards making it happen. But those are just goals. The way we're going to achieve those goals is by investing in, in infrastructure, investing in um, solar energy, wind energy, hydro energy. It's also going to be investing in technology around microgrid, around battery storage, and it's also it's doing literally everything we can to reduce carbon emissions, and that includes uh, regenerative farming, for example. There's carbon in the soil, and it it often gets released with certain types of uh, farming practices. Like if you till the land, you're you're releasing the carbon. So there are ways to farm that either reabsorb or maintain the carbon in the soil, the soil's actually richer and better w- with the carbon in there, and it's an additional way to reduce the carbon in the, in the atmosphere. So all of, all of that, uh, the Mother Nature Bond Act was something that was supposed to be on the ballot this fall, but um, the governor pulled it, which I was disappointed about. So the Mother Nature Bond Act is something that I'm... Um, I am a particular advocate for because it's it would be funding for a lot of the um, wetlands, um, restoring wetlands, and some of these farming practices and other um, other things related to nature and how and how we um, how that can impact um, the environment. But it's also about investing again, investing in our infrastructure and aggressively moving away from fossil fuel energy generation and towards renewable energy. And then that's not going to happen just by average market forces. We need to make that happen. Sure. I love learning uh, from our from our um, guests. And I just learned so much from that answer alone. Uh, I knew that the the Climate Protection Act had been passed, but I had no idea that the Mother Nature Bond Act was supposed to be on the ballot. So thank you so much for educating me. Um, You mentioned farming, and your district includes a a great deal of farms, especially in the eastern part of Dutchess County. And farmers have obviously been hard hit by COVID among, 
you know, everyone, but specifically they have as well. Um, another group that we kind of started off talking about is, is women. Um, they've been asked to take on more and more. What are some of the things you're hearing from voters uh, in and around COVID and specifically women? Many of the things that I'm hearing is um, it's it's just an ex- it's an exaggeration of the issues that they had before. Childcare, for example, has always been an issue for working women. Finding access to affordable childcare was an issue before, but now it's 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 really urgent because um, the schools for the most part, aren't taking, aren't, the kids aren't going to school and they're certainly not going every day. And so that was an opportunity for women in particular to be able to go back to work and have, have childcare. Um, and throughout the pandemic, when the kids were at home and the childcare, many of the childcare places were closed, um, to try and and have a full-time job and be and oversee your children all at the same time all of that was falling primarily on the women and then you also have the added piece where a lot of the essential workers were were women and so they had to go to work and so f- trying to figure out that balance and some um you know some of the childcare um organizations closed some of them stayed open um and so it's it's really an economic issue, but it's also a stress issue. You don't know what's coming next. You don't, you know, the schools are still trying to figure it out. And if something changes and there's a hybrid model and then suddenly it's all virtual, it's just really hard to manage. And so the stresses are high. And then there's some who've lost their jobs and then they don't know where the money's going to come from. It, it's a, it's... And then you don't have the socialization with your fellow moms or your people at the office and trying to keep those connections has is not it's not the same when you're zooming or you're on the There's phone. There's definitely been a lot of zoom drop off over the past few months where I think in the beginning of the pandemic people were proactive about trying to maintain those relationships, you know, Zoom reunions or Zoom happy hours, etc. And I know, just speaking for myself, that's all evaporated now. Everyone's Zoomed out. That's um, true. I, rem- You know, it's funny. I remember, I, I don't think I participated in too many Zoom happy hours, but I remember <laughs> hearing about those and I haven't been hearing about them lately. I think, yeah, there is definitely Zoom fatigue. Um, it's just not the same as being with people. It's not the same. And because now you're using this platform all day, every day in work or school or whatever, uh, to then have that be the same thing for your social or, um, you know, just to keep in touch, it just feels like you come home and you don't want to look at another screen. Exactly. And the hardest part is on Zoom, you're also looking at yourself, which isn't, which is not always (laughs) what you want to do at the end of the day. But you, you mentioned farmers and farming um, at, at, at the beginning of that question. And I just wanted to say one of the things that um, it has, has the, COVID and the subsequent closing down of businesses and restaurants has has really changed the dynamic around where farmers can sell their produce. And 
what's what's interesting to me and where I see an opportunity is to increase the market, the local market for the farms that we have in our area. And there has been, I think, more of an understanding of of where food is coming from and how can I get the local food. And so shifting our distribution system and saying, okay, how can I how can I be creating food that will be used locally also helps the environment because we're not shipping it here and there. And it's better for us if we're using fresher foods. I know the farmers markets have been doing really well. Um, and, and more people have realized that you can get great food at the farmers markets and they're still open. So if anyone hasn't hasn't gone to check out their local farmers market, I would highly recommend it at this time. But but that's, you know, looking for ways that we can support our our local farms is really important. And it also goes back to one opportunity is solar panels, for example, you can put farmland is often a perfect spot for solar panels. And there is a way to do solar panels that are raised up higher so that you can still do either agricultural or or um, some, um, you know, you can have goats or cows underneath uh, grazing, and yet you're still getting the um, the solar panel energy generation, and they and that can be a steady stream of income for the farmer. Um, that's like I said before, learning a lot from <laughs> this. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned infrastructure, and your district includes two train lines. Uh, one is the commuter and Amtrak line that's on the west part of your district that includes Metro North um, and Amtrak that runs through Poughkeepsie and then to Rhinebeck. And then you also have this other Metro North line that serves the western part of your district. Hopefully, I didn't miss any. I think those are the two. I, yeah, I think the second one is the, <laughs> eastern, is the eastern the eastern part of the district. Um, <laughs> Going and, up to Wasaic, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about how um, those types of infrastructure, you know, our rail has been impacted by COVID. Obviously, ridership is way down. Um, and it also means, though, that people are able to come up um, because I think New Yorkers as a state have stayed within the state, at least tried to do local tourism. Maybe they're not going to go to other states because of the various bans. But um, we do hear reports and we do visually see that people are coming up um, much more to our areas because they're within easy reach of the greater New York City area. Um, And that's led to different tensions at the beginning of COVID, but I think it's also sustaining the economies for the Hudson Valley. I wanted to just hear your thoughts about that. That wasn't a fully formed question, but um, I thought that um, there's a lot there, obviously. I know that um, there's been some fights about the MTA and Metro North um, lately as well. Well, starting starting with Metro North, um, those that's that's an important um, it's an important uh, infrastructure that we have. You're right in that the ridership is way down. Um, I don't expect it to stay as low forever. I think the opportunity to be able to um, to get to New York City and from New York City is something that will continue to be an important. Um, an important element. Um, 
but it is old infrastructure, um, and it is. I know the MTA is is hurting, and that's something that we need to look at and be concerned about, um, because it also it also provides you know for Poughkeepsie being the end of the MTA line, there's a real positive there. It does provide tourism. Um, people can come. The Mid Hudson Children's Museum is right there, and the waterfront is right there, and there's there's lots of the walkway is there. So it's a great opportunity for people to come and enjoy the area. Um, and so we need to, to, to not lose sight of the importance of the MTA. But it also, it also reminds me that getting from east to west in Dutchess County is not that easy. Um, there aren't good roads that go from one to the other. And, and there's really no public transportation. A lot of the services that are provided by the county are in Poughkeepsie. Well, if you live on the east side of the county, there is a bus system. It 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 doesn't run on a particularly uh, quick um, uh, schedule. So, if you live out in Dover and you want to take advantage of services in Poughkeepsie, it's all day. You need to get a bus in the morning if you don't have a car. You need to get a bus in the morning. You get to Poughkeepsie, and then it's not till the end of the day that you can get back. Well, that's not particularly convenient. So something else that I would like to work on is thinking about how we can look at alternative types of public transportation that would enable people to get around, even just within the Hudson Valley, um, because there are great things on the Ulster County side of of the county that, and then there there's Duchess and Putnam and. Um, it would be nice if we had some greater strategic thought around some public transportation opportunities that don't require you to always have a car. Sure, absolutely. And we could be here all night, and I would love to because I'm already learning so much. Um, I guess the question I have, the Democrats have a majority in the Senate, and if you and a few others are elected, they have an opportunity to actually achieve a supermajority. And that means accomplishing a legislative agenda without having to go to the governor. That's a very real possibility. It's exciting. Um, what would be some of your priorities if you're elected and it is a supermajority? Well, I think one of the things that... Um one of the things that I see as important is having some more um, of, of having the opportunity to work with colleagues in the Hudson Valley to focus on the things that we need in the Hudson Valley. I've already I've already had conversations with Senator Skoufis, Senator Metzger and Senator Harcum and also uh, candidate Michelle Hinchy um, and um, and candidate Elijah whose last name I always get wrong, so I'm not going to say it. Um, but um, we've talked about what are the specific issues that are relevant to the Hudson Valley that may or may not be relevant to the other parts of the state. Because, you know, just because something works in New York City doesn't automatically mean it's going to work in our area. And we have an interesting mix of, of urban cities, but also um, agriculture and um, and, and really a whole mix. And, and the Hudson Valley is so beautiful. And we really need to embrace and, and celebrate that beauty. So from that standpoint, I think the opportunity to work on Hudson Valley specific issues becomes a possibility. And then beyond that, it's going to be this is I, I have no illusions about this being an easy time to be in the state legislature. You know, New York State is struggling. 
Um, the people in New York State are struggling. We need to deal with this virus. We need to continue to uh, wear our masks and um, wash our hands and be careful. And we're going to need to come out of this recession. There's not a lot of, um, you know, that there's the, the budget is not is going to be a struggle. And so what's really important is going to be the priorities. And what I've seen is that there's been a willingness to cut um, uh, funding for Medicaid home health aides. That is the wrong place to cut. I've seen a willingness to cut the, the education budget. We cannot be cutting the education budget. They need more money now because they're working twice as hard and tr in, in, in ha needing more space and needing better ventilation systems, we cannot be cutting from from our education system. So to me, unless there's agreement as to where the priorities are in terms of spending, um, that's, I think, going to be the spot where the supermajority may, may come into play. Sure. And uh, there's so much more to cover, but there's only... Uh, I think by the time this comes out, we're going to be creeping up on 40 days till the election, if you can believe it. Yeah. Uh, where should people go to find you? So I have a website. It's Karen, the number four, nysenate.com. And from there, I'm, we also have a Facebook page, which is at Karen for NYSenate, and an Instagram page and a Twitter feed. And... Um, yeah, you can find out more about me and you can sign up to volunteer and get on our email list where we send e-blasts with updates on what's happening on the campaign. I just got one last night. It's always every Saturday. And Karen's team has been so lovely to get to know over the past few months. Um, it's a lot of young people. There's diversity. It's just been a pleasure to see you have a much bigger team than the last time around because it just means that there's excitement and energy in this race. And we wish you all the best and hope the next time you're back here is as Senator Smythe. Oh, thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. You're listening to Spotlight 19. A few notes. Um, Woodstock Democratic Committee fundraiser, Thursday, October 8th, featuring a new song from me, actually, and other artists, including Jack DeJeanette. That's at 8 p.m. Also, on October 8th, Betsy Kratt fundraiser. It's uh, Betsy and Reckless Eric, Amy Rigby and Brian Dewan, Thursday at 8.30. And I would say that you could double zoom it. You could probably have you and a partner or family member um, have them uh, both going at the same time. And you can jump back and forth and, and um, participate there. I guess it's called a double zoom, but I, I don't know. <laughs> the links to those events uh, will be in the description of this podcast. Good news, I am now an American citizen. I have registered to vote, which is very exciting for me. That's all I could muster as far as positivity, because we just keep getting shellacked by um, the state of um, this administration. But um, we can get through this. Until next week, Keep the faith.